and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Please let's stand together and worship the Lord together.
to greet those around you. Good morning. Good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How are we all doing today? Good. Good to hear. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Director of Student Ministries here at La Jolla Community Church, and I would just love to welcome you here today. Um, first things first, I would love to draw your attention to the amazing bulletin. Uh, if you open that up and look right inside, if you're new here, if this is your hundredth time here, if you're just visiting, uh, please take a moment to just fill that out, to let us know what's going on in your life. Let us know how we can pray for you. We are a church that believes in the power of prayer, that believes in families coming together to one, to love on one another. And we here at La Jolla Community Church are a family. So if you have something going on in your life that you would love to praise God for, that you need prayer for, we have a dedicated team of prayer warriors who come together and pray over every single prayer. So please take a moment to fill that out, to let us know what's going on in your life. We would love to join you in that. And then tear that front page off so you can keep your amazing notes. And in a moment, the ushers are going to come by, and you can drop that off right in the offering basket. A few announcements, uh, things that are going on here. This first one is for you guys in the front. On Tuesday, we're having a wonderful event called Pancake Tuesday. How many of you in here like pancakes? I like pancakes. That's why we're having lots of pancakes. Uh, Tony and I are going to be slaving away all day, cooking tons and tons of pancakes. If you know a student uh, who is between 6th and 12th grade, Please let them know that we are having all you can eat, as many pancakes as these kids can stuff down, Tuesday, 6.30, right out here in the Surf Shack. We would love to have you. It's going to be an awesome, awesome event. Speaking of next week, the very next day is Ash Wednesday. Pastor Steve is going to be leading us in a fantastic Ash Wednesday service. Again, that starts at 6.30 on Wednesday, February 26th. Um, we've also put together some prayer stations. If you're the kind of person who likes to engage God physically, uh, we're going to have four different prayer stations around the room where you can just express what's going on in your life with God in a tactile kind of a way. So please join us again. That is Wednesday, February 26th, 6.30 p.m. And last but not least, uh, we have the women's tea coming up on March 7th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. The cost for that is $25 a person or $15 for children. Uh, young women are highly, highly encouraged to come, but it, it doesn't matter what age or stage in life you're in. One of the amazing things about the women's teas that we put on here at La Jolla Community Church is it doesn't matter if you are in a stage of life where you're feeling really strong, really close to God. This is the perfect opportunity for you to share with other people what's going on in your life, how the Lord has blessed you. Or, or if you're a woman where you're in a place where, hey, I'm not really feeling God right now. Things are, things are stressful and difficult, and, and I just need some people to surround me and lift me up. This tea is the perfect, perfect event for you. So again, that is Saturday, March 7th from 11 to 1. Please um, contact Barbara at ljcc.org if you would like more information or sign up on the website. At this time, I would like to invite the students to take off with me. We're going to go to our service uh, today. And then uh, Dave is going to join us or lead us in some prayer.
you pray with me? Holy Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come to you today without restraint, without fear, and the full knowledge that you hear our prayers. We recognize that most places in the world, fellow believers are not as blessed as we are. We freely praise you, and we thank you for that ability. Lord, we also thank you today for your creation, from the smallest cell to the largest galaxy, which size we can't comprehend. You have created it all. We think about the breadth and the depth of the ocean, the grandeur of the highest mountains, and recognize they shout your name. We consider the complexity of our mind and our body. As your word says, you knew us in our mother's womb, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We recognize our absolute need for you. All we have is from you. Every breath, every beat of our heart, every second of our life is a gift from you. We thank you, Lord, and please don't let us take our lives for granted. Father, we also realize we have become lax when we come to you in prayer. Many times we enter into worship with too many thoughts and concerns crowding out your voice. It seems sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is to just quiet our minds and allow you to speak to us. Father, we ask that the busyness of this day doesn't drown out your voice. We also ask for your help to focus our thoughts on you, to dwell in your word and reflect on your complete love for us. You demonstrated that love by sending your only son so that we could be a redeemed people and put us back into a right relationship with you. Finally, Lord, open our eyes to how holy you are and that you have asked us to be holy as you are holy, to reflect your characteristics and love to those around us, whether in work, home, school, or traveling. Help us to be light to others and demonstrate your love wherever we go and whatever we do. Lord, we thank you for LJCC. We thank you for the staff of LJCC. We especially ask that you bless Steve and Dave, Ryan and Drake and Mary and Craig, and for all the volunteers to help make worship happen every Sunday. We don't take lightly this time, and it's important in our daily walk. We also pray that you bless Steve's message today, and that it falls on listening and open hearts. Finally, Lord, we ask that you be with all the families affected by the coronavirus, especially in China, but throughout the entire world. We ask for a speedy recovery for all infected and to comfort the families who have already lost a loved one. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dave, thank you. Boy, that music, uh, wow. Uh, thank you. I guess they're taking a smoking break. I don't see anybody right there. Um, wow, moving, moving, moving music. I thank God for people who, who compose things and and. and and get really good at, at uh, playing instruments that support us in worship of God. It's amazing how God has made us. He's made us to be fully engaged with every possible sense that we have. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and, and some of you are more moved by what you see, by, by what you hear, by what you sing. Some of you are moved by ideas. Some of you are moved as you participate in things. But it's amazing how God meets us where we are. And I hope you have a very real experience of Him meeting you today wherever you are, uh, in your faith or no faith. Um, our, we're in the fourth week of a series. We've been asking the question, well, why does faith even matter? Why does faith matter? We live in a culture where people say, uh, I have faith, and you start probing that with them, and it, it, you say, well, in what? Well, I just have faith. Right, but what's the content of your faith? What's the, what's the point of your faith? What, what about your faith is giving you what you need? Well, it's just, and as, they, as they talk to you, I'm, just not my, I'm not judging them, I'm just saying my observation is it's just a sense that everything is going to work out okay, or at least I hope it does. 
uh, that faith is, is something that we just have this floating sense that I hope everything works out okay. So we've been exploring it from the standpoint of, well, what are, what's the content of faith? Why does it matter? We've looked at the word grace. Uh, what does grace tell us about this faith that God invites us to embrace? What does love have to do with it? Uh, what does truth have to do with it? So today we're talking about this big idea, big concept, uh, a big life change called salvation. Throughout the Bible, we see lots of references to this word uh, saved or salvation and lots of cognate words you know, and related words to that. Uh, have you ever been in a situation where you could say, I was definitely saved? Uh, every year, somebody gets saved uh, down at La Jolla Shores uh, or uh, Wind and Sea. Every, every winter like we're in right now, people get saved because they were skiing where they shouldn't have been. And all of a sudden, they realize that now a big chunk of the mountain is sitting on top of them. And they've been in an avalanche. You know, people are saved any number of ways for any number of reasons. And, and let me just um, throw this out to you. What comes to mind when you hear words like this? Uh, rescued, saved, healed, redeemed, found, released, forgiven, respected, loved, protected, valued, cared for, helped, invited. Uh, these are all words that, that touch on this idea of being saved, being taken from a place that's very bad to some place that's very good. Uh, and it evokes bigger issues for us. It evokes issues like justice. Uh, somebody came up to me after the last service and said, hey, I have a friend who's an attorney. They want to get involved in, they want to leave this really wonderful job they have because they feel compelled to work in the whole area of human trafficking. Uh, and, and so uh, I'm going to connect them to some folks who are very much immersed in that at a lot of different levels. Uh, they want to save people. There's nothing more powerful than that, right? Uh, being the link to somebody's salvation. Uh, their release and rescue from that horrible situation. Nothing better, actually, than actually being the one being rescued and saved, thinking, why would somebody go out of their way and risk everything to help me this way? And so these words like justice, security, freedom, compassion, morality, and well-being come to mind immediately. Can you stand the idea that there's one kid going to bed tonight without a meal? Uh, that there's one person who wonders if they can trust the people in, in whom they've entrusted their lives. Uh, you think of all the ways that we are so threatened and so vulnerable. So I hope these words evoke big things in you. And we invoke these words to tell a compelling before and after story that corresponds to this, God, this salvation uh, that is the work of God's uh, presence and power in the world. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to explore that in the time that we have. And when you, <coughs> when you tell a story about a before and an after, here's where I was, here's where I am. You end up talking about at least several categories. One would be, I was, and you describe where you were, the situation that you were in, that you would say, this was a situation I desperately needed to get out of. Uh, and as you talk about that, it's also helpful to say, well, uh, I felt this. What were you feeling? You know, what were you experiencing in that? Uh, one of the things we know about PTSD is that unless you get in touch with what you were feeling and recognize it, and go through a very specific process of addressing it, what you were going through continues with you. So as we talk about, I was this, I felt this, when we get to the, the other side of that, or the beginning of the other side of that, what happens? We say, now I. Now I. I'll give you some examples. So under the heading of what's in your story, uh, I was attacked, injured, neglected, in a dark place, stuck, lost, isolated, intimidated, Sick, weak, unable to escape, exhausted, empty, bored, out of options, inspired. Uh, do you relate to any of those? I, I felt depressed, scared, angry, distrustful, bitter, jealous, 
hurt, hopeless, vulnerable, desperate, insecure, lied to, defrauded, abused, abandoned. And that was just at the beginning of the DMV line. I mean, it gets even worse as you, get, as you wait for hours to get your new identity uh, you know, license uh, processed. And, and then what, what is the other side of that? These, what people have called uh, cardboard testimonies. You know, I, I, I was this and now I'm that. Uh, now I am healing. I'm growing. I'm learning new skills. I feel loved. I feel more alert. Uh, I am more alert. I am aware. I'm humble. I'm resourceful. I'm patient. I'm wise. I'm secure. I ask for help. I offer help. Do these resonate with you? This is the content in terms of one's experience of being saved. And now we're going to link that to God's work in the world. And, and what does that tell us about what God's up to and what our part of that is? And really we're doing this, again, to answer the question, why does faith matter? Uh, I personally am not satisfied in just saying faith for faith's sake. It's just empty to me. Uh, I, I remember having conversations with my mom as a little kid. You know, um, why would you have faith? Why faith? Why faith? And, and she couldn't answer the question. You know, she said, well, Stephen, you just should have faith. Well, why? So something in her knew that faith was really, really important, but she, she wasn't able to articulate and tell me why it was important. Because for her, it was that I just hope things are better. I just wish they were better. Um, but we asked the question, why does faith matter? Because somehow God is saying, I'm doing something better. And so we believe that faith matters because it connects us to God who is writing a better story into our lives. Not a make-believe, once-upon-a-time story, but a story that helps us understand uh, some really important things about who He is and His grace and His love and His truth and, and His hope. And it's a story that we call salvation because it's anchored in the very person and work of God. It's a story that's breathtaking and, and, and comprehensive because it represents what we could never have done or achieved on our own, but that God on our behalf has initiated, it has achieved, and is achieving uh, for our benefit. So how is God showing up in your story? Sometimes God shows up in our story long before we understand it was God showing up in our story. Uh, and I had one of those experiences. <clears throat> I was about 13, uh, maybe almost 14, and uh, I, I was living in San Jose, California in a wonderful suburb called Willow Glen, and uh, um, I was, uh, it was like a Saturday afternoon, and I, I was out doing something, and I was on my way home, and I thought I'd take a shortcut through the school that was a few blocks from my house, because uh, why walk all the way around the block when I can cut through the school? And this is when, it was an elementary school that as kids would gather and, and play, you know, football, baseball, whatever. It was kind of a neighborhood park, really, in, in many ways. And that's when schools were open. Actually, the people who pay for schools got to go to them whenever they wanted to. And so people would walk their dogs or go through the school. And so this is going to be my shortcut home. And it was a kind of an open plan school, so it wasn't like a school on the East Coast where it's all built for weather. This is, you know, open walkways with a, some shade over them, but you can see every classroom in these rows. A bit prison-like, but, you know, basically it was this open plan. So I'm walking down the walkway, and I turn the corner, and I see this guy walking toward me. Now, toward me. There's nobody at the school. And this is just me and this guy, and he's about, you know, probably... Uh, late teens, 20-ish, and from my 13-year-old perspective, he looks a little scary, you know, like somebody you'd call uh, uh, like a hood or a punk or maybe call him a gangbanger type guy, and, and I'd never seen this guy before, and, and so as I'm walking toward him, he's walking toward me, one of us is getting really scared, 
That would be me. Because this guy is kind of glaring at me and kind of sneering, and he's walking more slowly. And finally, he stops and steps in front of me. And it kind of backs me against a wall. Very intimidating. And he says, turn around and face the wall. My 13-year-old life is passing before my very eyes at this point. And I thought, you know, uh, if I'm going down, I'm not going to go down easy. I realized I can't outrun him. I can't outfight him. I just said, no. Famous last words. On my grave, it'll say, he said no, you know. Some grades say, I, grave headers say, I told you I was sick. Mine will just say, no, <laughs> you know, uh, direct quote. And I'm just beside myself, but I'm, I'm just, I probably said more like, no, you know, but it was basically no. And I'm standing there looking at him, he's looking at me, and I, I knew this is not going to go well. When all of a sudden, around the same walkway comes this guy walking his dog. And the guy sizes up the situation immediately and he says, is everything okay? And I'm by now on a roll getting good at this, so I say, no. <laughs> That's all I could come up with. No, 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 no. And he says, is this guy bothering you? And I said, yes. I'm developing my vocabulary, my ability to respond in this crisis situation. And the guy basically, um, he's an ordinary guy, but you really, at the moment, he kind of had the presence and the, and the command and, the, and, the, and the, the voice and the stature of Dwayne Johnson, the rock. Because he looks at the situation, he looks at me, the wimpy kid and, and, the, and the, the intimidating punk, and he goes, get out of here. And he says, have a good day, basically, you know, go home. I'm like, so I, I'm walking home just... This is all this rescue experience is going through my mind. And, and I thought, oh my gosh. And I never saw either of those people again. Uh, but I thought, wow, that was a close call, you know. And, and a few years later, then um, in high school, I, I met some people who were like the guy walking his dog, some people who, who worked with Young Life. And they were basically walking around looking for kids who had that look in their eye like, I'm not sure this is well, going well, <laughs> asking, is everything okay? Is anything bothering you? Uh, very, very powerful. And uh, uh, now I, 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 can, I can put some language to it. Uh, you know, Paul writes in Romans, and he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And specifically, this was Paul's referring to news of salvation. Isaiah is saying, look, at, wow, it's, it's going to come. It's on its way. Very, very, very good news. How blessed are the feet of those who will bring this good news. He's predicting Christ. And then Paul, in his turn, is talking about it as those who now know Christ and will bring the good news of salvation to people wherever they go. Uh, powerful, powerful. But both those events came to my mind this week as I was thinking about why faith matters and our need to be saved. I haven't thought about it since it happened. Um amazing how, looking back, you can see God was at work. I didn't even know it was Him. But I, 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 now, of course, I had no idea that guardian angels walked dogs and looked and sounded like Dwight Johnson, you know, Dwayne Johnson, right? Um, uh, amazing how that worked out. So, so God hasn't saved me from every situation since then, but He's been with me in every situation since then. And I've been consciously aware of the fact that, and usually not until after the fact, that He was actually working in every situation and, and I'm still on my way home.
right, by his grace. And so God's presence in my life is what uh, faith means to me and why fa- uh, faith matters to me. And as I've seen over the years how God has worked in other people's lives, I realize, oh my gosh, this faith is durable. It's substantial. It's not window dressing. It's not garnish on the plate. It's the main meal. This experience of God in real time, in a real life, and in a variety of situations is what uh, we're talking about when we talk about faith. And so salvation by grace is a core belief of anybody who, who knows Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's a big theological um, truth and, and reality that we keep coming back to. And we, we explore it from all kinds of angles. What, is, what does it mean that we're saved? And there's all kinds of theories of the atonement, ways of seeing the atonement. But to suffice it to say that it's, it's about salvation by grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It provides something for us that we have no capacity to provide for ourselves. And the whole point of this is not to humiliate us. It's to rescue us. It's to restore us, to reconcile us, to bring us back to what we were created for. That is to know God personally. And this is not just a moment in time, uh, though it might be that for you. You might say, oh, I know exactly when I became a follower of Jesus. You know, it was at Forest Home. It was at Young Life Camp. It was at Billy Graham Crusade. It was at Harvest Festival. I remember a friend in my dorm led me to Jesus. You know, you might have a very clear story. Or for you, it might be, well, I grew up in a wonderful, loving home, and my parents were just great about helping me understand my faith until one day it just dawned on me, this is my faith, not my mom and dad's anymore. Uh, but it's more than a moment. That moment I knew. It's, it's the momentum of God's spirit moving in the world. And so it takes us somewhere. It meets us somewhere. And we can identify that as a moment of rescue or insight, inspiration, salvation. But that idea is that it's not just a concept that we say, how wonderful I look back at that. It becomes a life-defining, life-changing reality going forward. So faith reveals three big life-saving, life-changing things. Who we are, why we're here, and to whom we belong. Or to put it in vernacular English, who we belong to, right? And so I want to look at a couple of passages briefly with you, uh, both written by the Apostle Paul, uh, who is the person who encountered Jesus because he was really ticked off that people were saying that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. And he was a rabbi, he was a leader, and he's on his way to Damascus to persecute, uh, from Jerusalem to Damascus, to persecute those people who are claiming that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And along the way, he has this personal, life-changing encounter with Jesus. And basically, Jesus says to him, "Um, is everything okay? Why are you fighting against me? What don't you understand about me? And is something bothering you? And, and it flipped uh, Saul's life uh, into becoming not just an adversary of Christ, but an apostle for Christ. So he, now he's, he's being used by, by the Lord to reach other true blue Jews uh, who speak Hebrew or Aramaic, but he's also now, he's a Roman citizen as well, and he can speak Greek and, and as well as Hebrew and Aramaic, and so he's, he has full access to the, that world. And so in that process, he's going all over the place telling people about Jesus, helping them understand that they can be saved and rescued. Not to change their culture, but to change them within their culture. Not to change their status necessarily, but to change them as they understand who they are in Christ. And so he writes these letters, one to, to a, a small town called Colossi, small place in, in Turkey, and one to a very large prestigious town called Ephesus, also in what we would call modern-day Turkey. So I'm going to give you a couple excerpts from both of those. Why? Because I want to give you a picture 
uh, in kind of in stereo and in, in surround sound. I want to give you a picture of what this salvation looks like, how comprehensive it is. So <clears throat> Paul is writing to these people in Colossae, and he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. We've heard about you, and we've seen this reality of God's presence in you demonstrated in the way that you're behaving toward other people. They're having a social impact. And so he says, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So he's, he's saying, look, this whole salvation thing is about heaven coming to earth. God coming into the world that he created. And this word gospel then is sort of a placeholder for everything God has done before Genesis 1 and, and continuing after Revelation 22, from the, before the Bible is documented to after, and giving us the whole scope. Specifically, we know that the gospel means good news, right? You've heard that before. A euangelion, a Greek word, good news. The Roman troops come back from victory, they, wherever they've been in the vast empire, and they say, euangelion, euangelion. Runners go out ahead and say, good news, good news. You're going you're to love what you're going to hear. But this good news then brings together everything that God has promised to Israel. It's documented in terms of Jesus' three years of ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the word gospel is bigger than that. And yet we can reduce it to, to a very simple executive summary, right? An elevator speech of sorts. Uh, the gospel is the narrative of God's promise to bless all nations fulfilled in Christ. Christ being the title that Jesus is given. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. So the gospel is the narrative, the, the salvation narrative, the rescue story of God's promise to bless all nations, fulfilling that promise in Jesus Christ. And, and Paul, uh, writing to another group of people in Corinth, you don't have a slide for this, but I'll read it to you, uh, he summarizes the, this gospel. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Uh, by this gospel, you are saved. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 people at the same time, many of whom are still living. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, He appeared to me as one abnormally born, as one who was in the womb too long. It took me a long time to figure out what I was doing until Jesus finally confronted me. So you see that the gospel can be presented as a very brief summary. It's what Jesus did, and here's what He did. Uh, it can be expanded. It's what Jesus did because of what God promised. It's all of a sudden now we're having conversations about uh, uh, everything from God's creation of the world to human sin to His promise to Abraham to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to a new heaven and a new earth. So it's very comprehensive, but it's very clear. It's God's intervention in our experience of being a human being. It's exactly what we need and what the world we live in needs. And so uh, Paul can go on to say, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, it goes somewhere. Again, it's not just a moment. He says this is the moment in what Jesus did, but it's in the context of what God's been doing for a very long time and that God will continue to do. And it's bearing fruit. It has social impact. It has personal impact. It's more than just an amorphous, yeah, I got faith. I, I can't really explain it. Well, I have faith. I'll tell you why I have faith. What Jesus done and what Jesus is doing in me, and what Jesus is motivating me to do in His name, in the world in which I actually live. 
And it's moving beyond cultures throughout the whole world, he says. So we see that the, the, the gospel is dynamic. It's what every organization, every company wants. It's scaling. It's crossing over barriers that, that would be arbitrary and, and in the sense of the gospel, irrelevant because this is for all people at all times. Everybody needs Jesus. It's not limited by your culture. The goal is not to disrupt your culture. It's to transform your culture. And so we see this gift of salvation is planted in us by God through what He's done in Christ. It's nurtured into fruitfulness through His abiding presence through His Holy Spirit. It's informed by His Holy Word. It's supported by His holy people, embracing it and learning to apply it wherever they are, wherever they go. It's for the whole world. And so we see that we are a new creation in Christ. It's a before and after story. But it's not before and after as if that's just a separate thing I put on a shelf. It's before and in the midst of and after and now going forward. And so I can say, gosh, I would not be the person I am but for Christ. I wouldn't be the husband I am, the, the father I am. I'm a pretty marginal husband and father, but you can imagine how I'd be without Christ. Like this is a big net gain in Christ, you know. So, he says, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. How are you understanding God's grace? I didn't understand it as a 13-year-old. All I understood was some relief. I got to continue going home and being a 13-year-old. But how are you understanding God's grace? I understand it in ways now that I would never have imagined I could understand it. The beauty of this grace that God gives us by way of this gift of salvation, a, a small child can articulate. The wisest person on the planet can articulate it. Uh, if you ask a small child, you know, what they're learning in Sunday school, maybe they'll say something like, Jesus loves me, this I know. Powerful, powerful theological declaration. Backed up with so much content and data. They have, a, they have a, a, the appropriate understanding for where they are in life. 1963, the greatest living theologian in the world, uh, Karl Barth, who faced off with Hitler during that era. Now he's the most celebrated theologian in the world. He's written volumes of theology. He's influencing an entire generation of theologians. Uh, he's in New York at the height of his powers and influence, and some kind of smart-alecky uh, <laughs> reporter says, oh, Dr. Barth, you've written massive amounts of uh, stuff on... on faith. Can you please summarize it for us? And, and, and Bart doesn't blink. He just says, yeah, sure. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If I said that, they say, oh, obviously, we knew you didn't know that much. But when Karl Barth says it, it becomes, ooh, whoa, that's profound. Write that down. This is the power of understanding the gospel, the grace of God. A baby can understand it, and the smartest person on the planet, likewise. And, and Paul says, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Epaphras is also mentioned in, in Philippians. His full name is Epaphroditus, like Stephen to Steve, something like that. And referring to, to the work of Epaphroditus on behalf of all these communities of Christians, uh, Paul says, you should hold people like this in high regard because he's giving his life for you. It's a beautiful expression hey, we've been praying for you because we've heard all about you because of Epaphras. He keeps us in the loop about what God is doing in you. We're so excited about it. We're praying that it would continue. You reach and touch more and more people. The church in Ephesus and Colossae do not exist, but we're still talking about the gospel, so apparently they did. 
Uh, whom did God use to bring salvation to you? Who was the Epaphras or is the Epaphras in your life? And for whom are you the Epaphras, right? And you might not even know you're serving that function. But if you're present to the Lord as you're experiencing your own salvation, you will be surprised along the way to find out that, oh my gosh, that touched somebody? And I, I could tell you endless stories about that, but I won't. <laughs> but you know that God wants to use you just as people have been used by Him in the most beautiful ways to bring that good news. You are the delivery system for that good news. So don't sell yourself short. Don't discount your capacity to be that and do that. And so Paul says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. And I hope you're praying for people. And I hope you're asking, even if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, asking others to be praying for you. Again, prayer is not wishful thinking. Uh, it's, it's living purposely and, and understanding that God is with us and for us. And so I value when people say, I pray for you. It moves me deeply to think that there's people who pray for me. We pray for all the prayer requests every week, uh, e either as a staff collectively or on our own throughout the week. If you're in a life group, you know there's people praying for you. Uh, we believe that this is powerful in the movement of God's Spirit in His gift of salvation rolling out around the world. And so we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. We're supposed to grow in our knowledge and love and our capacity to apply it wisely in the world. And this is a beautiful reminder of our need for guides and coaches in growing in our salvation. I think of all the people God brought into my life who helped me understand it and take that next step in my faith. Growing in grace, growing in knowledge, growing in love. Not growing in my status with God, because He loves me unconditionally at the very beginning, but growing in my understanding of that. It's why every, every, it's beautiful to see when children grow up and, and they realize, oh my gosh, this is what my mom and dad did. What a gift. I had no idea. It was so hard to be a mom or a dad. What a gift it is that my parents gave this to me. So some things are, 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 are not realized until much later. But right now is the time to be gathering that content. And who are the guides that you're letting into your life? Who are the, the wise counselors and, and godly friends who are shaping you? Not by trying to tell you what to do, but by being with you and, and affirming God's work in you. We all need people affirming God's work in us. Not just saying, oh, you're awesome, you're wonderful, but saying, I see God working in you. That horrible thing you just did, I see your recovery. That repentance thing you did in confession, that's awesome. So our sin, as we said many times here, our sin no longer defines us. It reminds us how out of it we are and how much we need God's gift of grace and salvation. But if you're going through some crushing sin or somebody in your life is going through some overwhelming sin that's affecting you horribly, you have every right to have big, deep feelings about being violated and frustrated and whatever. But at the same time, you've got to recognize they're a work in process, and even this could be the place where God meets them and gets their attention and continues His work of grace in them. We all need people affirming God's work in us, giving us encouraging feedback along the way. Even critical feedback is encouraging if it's given in love. That's why godly confrontation isn't to try to squash you and embarrass you and humiliate you. It's to say, I see this. I understand you did this. Can we talk about this? And by calling it out, we remove some of the power of it over that person. And that person has a space to say, it's wretched what I did. It's horrible what I did. I can't believe I did that, but I did that. And my life is over. Maybe not. Maybe this is where your real life begins. In this moment of humility and repentance and confession. 
yeah, but it'll never be the same in that relationship or in this situation. Maybe, maybe not. That's not for yours to know. Uh, all it is for you to know is that God is with you and you need to continue walking with Him. Does this sound powerful to you? It is. It's powerful. It's transformational. It's not just us trying harder. It's us saying, okay, Lord, your work in me is the only hope for me as I do my work in you. And so he says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. You see, this is the, the trajectory of where it goes. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So the person who is mired in sin and, and, and failure, someday when somebody is saying to him, oh my gosh, if I, if I could only be like you, if I only knew as much as you, if I could only pray like you pray, they'll probably chuckle and say, oh my gosh, you don't know what it took to teach me how to pray. You don't know the, the, the life I lived that I'm, I'm so regretful of and I'm embarrassed to tell you about, but you're right. It is awesome what God's done to me, and so I'm glad you're seeing that. So salvation is the functional pathway for spiritual growth and development, for emotional maturity, for social impact. So being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. We need sheer dogged endurance. Everybody at some point, once a day, once a week, once a month, once a quarter, once a year, wants to throw up their hands and say, I give up, I'm done. Whether that's taking their own life, Without saying, I'm done with this relationship. I'm tired, of, I'm tired, I'm tired of trying to be a Christian. I'm, I'm tired of caring for people. We live in a scary world and we're routinely mugged by it. And God is asking us, is someone or something bothering you? Is everything okay? It's dangerous for us to live in denial and pretend that everything is cool when it's not. The guy and his dog saying, is everything okay? And I was, am I going to be too cool for, for school? Yeah, everything's great here. I'm in complete command of this situation. You came at just the right time because I was about to level this guy. Is he bothering you? Yes, he is. I have no idea how to defend myself. I'm at this person's mercy. I'm completely vulnerable, and I don't know if I'll see home again. See, God is offering us His resources right now to develop Endurance and patience over time. <laughs> that sounds like a contradiction to terms. Wait, he's giving me his resources right now, but it won't be real, f but over time? Uh-huh. What he's giving us now needs to work in us as we experience this journey of salvation. Our salvation is assured. When you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are saved. Nothing and no one can take that away from you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. This is a testimony John writes. God has given us salvation in Christ. We have the assurance of that. If we've said yes to Him, we are assured. But now the process is lifelong. Do not live in denial. But Paul says, give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Everything that Paul's saying here is in the plural. You all, you all, you all, us, we. We're not talking about rugged individualists. Uh, this saved community, worldwide, multicultural, intergenerational, does not represent a bunch of loners. It does not represent a bunch of lemmings. Uh, you've, you've heard the, the, the stories about lemmings, these little rodents that if one starts going somewhere, all of them follow off the cliff even. Sheep do the same thing. 
We're not loners. I, I don't need anybody. I can do it on my own, just me and Jesus. And we're not lemmings. Whatever everybody else is doing, it's good enough for me. I'm going to go along to get along. Yes, we need time together, desperately. Yes, though, we need time in solitude, desperately. Now, we need healthy support, healthy accountability. Why? Because we're a body. That's the, the beautiful metaphor in Scripture. We're a family of God. We're a temple being built. But we're, a, we're, we're the body of Christ over which He is the head. You matter to the body of Christ. Your salvation matters to the body of Christ. Don't put the burden of, I'm supposed to be the Messiah for everybody in my life. That's not your burden. But you are part of God's body, and the part you play in that body is indispensable and essential for what He's doing in the world. And so he's, finally, he says here, for God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, he gives this theological summary of this experience that people in Colossae uh, are going through. You're, you've been redeemed. And, and this word redeem, redemption, it's a value proposition. Now, this is what everybody in an organization understands. What's the value proposition here? We're going we're gonna to invest some money. We're going to risk some money. We're going we're gonna to we're do some things that we don't know that will work, but we hope to make some value that then will be recognized and rewarded with greater value. So redemption is a value proposition. In this case, it means we recover our true value by being reclaimed by our true maker, our true Lord, our true Savior, who reveals himself to be our true friend. Like that old hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. You'll have no better friend than Jesus. But you need friends who also walk with Jesus, right? That's part of the value of the body of Christ. And in turn then, uh, he turns our true value into something that blesses other people and adds value in their life. And it might be for us, like, I, I don't see how I added value, but I guess I did. The guy walking his dog goes home. His wife says, honey, how was the walk with the dog? Oh, it's fine, except for I was walking through that school, and I saw this kid who's about to get pounded, and I just told the punk to leave. Why did you do that? Oh, by the way, she says, how did you do that? Was there profanity or violence involved? He goes, no, you'd have been really proud of me. I did that whole, what would Jesus do thing? And I kept it cool, and I just looked at him, and when I looked at that guy, he knew exactly what was going on, and I said, I looked at the kid, and I knew exactly what was going on, and I just said, hey, you, you can leave now. And she says, that was awesome. He goes, oh, it's not that big of a deal. For the kid, it was a very big deal, right? For the bully, it was a reminder that there are people uh, to whom you will be accountable. And so that brings us to this definition, first part of a definition. Salvation is faith in Christ who saves us from death to life. That's a big, big plank in this definition because through his atoning sacrifice on the cross, Jesus gives us a new identity, a new purpose, and a new community. In living into this, the value proposition isn't what we think is a big deal or a small deal. It's just being the real deal in Christ. Only later will it be re revealed how big a deal it might have been. So let's hit this Ephesians passage quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 to 10. Paul, again, writing to this community of followers of Jesus. He says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We have a whole new identity, a whole new larger perspective of where we belong, to whom we belong, who we are, and what we're called to do. 
He says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, this momentum goes somewhere. It takes us somewhere. That's why we don't know the things that we commit to in Jesus' name won't not just be meaningful to us or, or our, our immediate family and friends. It could, it could be a flexion point for somebody else's history. Uh, Janet, my, Janet was up in Newport Beach this week seeing her mom, who's not doing well, and she goes up every week to see her, and she stopped by, and, and um, my sister and her husband had just moved down from the Bay Area back to Newport Beach, and so she stopped by quickly, and, and Bruce, uh, my brother-in-law, said, oh my gosh, you know, crazy thing happened today. I went to this men's breakfast at this big old church up the hill from where we live, uh, and uh, this guy got up and talked, a really, really uh, you know, compelling speaker and very impressive guy. Uh, articulate, and, and he talked about how when he was a high school kid in Newport Beach, uh, he, he came to this youth group, and uh, they started taking him to, to, to places like Mexico and other places to do mission stuff. And one time he went to a dinner, that the big dinner they were hosting for all these kids, and, and, and two of the kids got a full meal, and everybody else in the room just got parts of a meal until some people didn't get any of the meal. And they call it a, a planned famine. And he's explained this, and Bruce is going, I'm thinking, this is fascinating. And he says, yeah, this guy, Steve Murray, had the audacity to create that dinner. And, and, and Bruce now is laughing, thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to tell Steve this. And, and so um, the guy said, yeah, so that's what, you know, after university and I had all these options here in Newport, I decided, to, me and my wife decided to, to go to seminary. We're now missionaries full-time in Mexico working with the poorest of the poor. Bruce is like, this is awesome, you know. So he, Jack comes home and says, you can't believe what happened. And she's telling me something, and that's amazing. But it's not amazing. I didn't even think twice about it. I mean, it was just stuff we were doing. You have stories like that. I only happen to know that, not to call attention to me, but to say, look at what God can do, even when we're not aware of what he's doing. And that's replicated in this room over and over and over again through you. So salvation releases God's incomparable riches to us. And like uh, it's C.S. Lewis says in, his, in the Chronicles of Narnia series, in the little book Prince Caspian, uh, these children from England go to this place called Narnia, and, and it's a magical, interesting thing that goes on in the stories. Lucy now returns to Narnia, and she sees Aslan, this lion, the Christ figure again. And she says this, Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan said this, says this to her, every year you grow, you will find me bigger. This is what's happening in you. God is getting bigger because you're becoming more aware of how big He is. And you won't know how big His impact has been in you and through you until far in the future. But he's, Paul says, for it's by grace that you've been saved, through faith, this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not about look what we did, it's look what He did. So we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now we're compelled to say, look what I can do because of what He did. And we begin to live in the present tense. Here's what we do continuously because of what He did. And so we see that salvation is an engine, not a trophy. If you get nothing out of what I've said today, just get this. Salvation is an engine propelling you forward in God's work in the world, redeeming it. It's not a trophy of which we say, oh, yeah, well, this was awarded to me. 
When I went forward into the Milligram Crusade, no, an engine roared to life when you received Christ. So salvation is faith in Christ who not only saves us from death to life, but who saves us for good works in this life. Salvation is faith in Christ who saves us from death to life and equips us for good works in this life. Why? Because He's linking our past, our present, and our future. The comprehensive nature of salvation. It's going somewhere. It accomplishes everything God wants it to accomplish. And we get to be a part of that. So I'll leave you with this. Ultimately, salvation means this. In Christ, we live redemptively now and forever. We're living out that value proposition of who we are in Him, who we are becoming in Him, how we're starting to see the value in everything around us, in everyone around us, a value that needs to be recovered and reconciled and restored to its true value and beauty. This is the value proposition that motivates us to get up early and stay up late, to say, yes, I do this for my profession, and I, but I want to integrate everything in my life around what I'm understanding about what it means to know the living God and to be known by Him. And so God has made us partners in His work in the world. Living redemptively means simply embracing and enjoying His grace, His love, His truth, His hope in every phase of life. So at this season in your life, what do you need? What do you need? Bring this to God. Lord, I think this is what I need at this season of my life. Bring this to God. Lord, what do you want me to give at this season of my life? What can I be doing and should be doing to exercise the salvation you've entrusted to me? And this goes on and on and on. You never retire from this. You continue to grow into it in every season of life by asking, who can I serve? Who can I help? Who can I influence? Who can I encourage? How is God continuing His work in me and through me? Whether you're a six-year-old or a 66-year-old, whether you're 106, you're never out of the game. It means nothing in this life is wasted or lost. Everything counts. Do not discount yourself. I'm just a kid. I'm just a, and you fill in the blank. You're not just to anything. You are in Christ. You are the hope of the world because in Christ you is in Christ in you is the hope of glory. That God is glorified through you being alive in him. You're a guy out walking a dog, basically. Do you see yourself that way? You are a person walking a dog and you just happen to see stuff and you go, "Hey, what's going on?" What's God doing here that I can be a part of for a nanosecond uh, or for a long-time commitment? Our suffering produces godly perseverance. Godly perseverance produces character. Our character reveals God's goodness in us. May we all become the guy, the man, the woman, the kid walking the dog. The Lord Jesus, this is our prayer, that we would so be caught up in, this, in the wonder and the beauty and the grace, the audacity of this gift of salvation, that we would cherish it, we would embrace it, we would submit ourselves to it, we would welcome it gladly, we would be curious at every age and stage and season in life what it is that you want to do in us and what you want to do through us. This is a powerful movement of your spirit that we get to be a part of. And so we thank you and praise you and glorify you for that. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Isn't it good to come together to study God's Word? I know you were blessed this morning. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward as we receive our offering. Um, and I know in the day and age that we live in, oftentimes we just do things that's automatically taken out, and we don't really think about what we're doing. But maybe as that plate comes by and it's deducted from your account or whatever, make this a time of offering and saying, Lord, I'm giving back to you.
But I was reminded through Steve's message this morning that it really is offering ourselves to God. And whether it's a time through financial giving or whether it's a time of just offering ourselves, really the question in which he posed in the end, or what are you going to do with the salvation that's been entrusted to you? What a joy in knowing that God has given us such a life that we in turn get to bless other people through the life that he has given to us. So maybe this morning as we pray, it's offering yourself to God saying, you know what, Lord, I've, I've taken a lot of information today. I want to offer this at your feet. Lord, I, I've heard a lot today. I pray that you would speak to me before I walk out of this church this morning and give me one or two action steps that I can take to implement what I've heard this morning into daily action. So let's just bow together in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that have been spoken this morning through the message and through the great reminders of your word to us, the scriptures of tell us the life and the breath that you have given to us. And Father, the joy that we have in times of devotion and the times that we have this morning in community and the joy in being with one another. We thank you for the church, but we thank you for the moments that we can spend with you in our car in a time of worship, through song, through celebration, through quiet time. Would you speak to us this morning? And Father, as we take this offering, I pray that you would take and you would do great and mighty things. That, Father, not only would we be a church that meets the spiritual needs of people as we reach out and we share the gospel, we teach and we disciple and we instruct and we train, but, Father, a church that meets the needs of those who are hurting. Father, maybe those who are hungry, maybe those who need clothes, uh, that we would truly just be a church that cares to meet the needs of the people in the community around us. Thank you for the privilege of giving to you. Thank you for the privilege of offering our lives to you. And so would you speak to us? Would you recall to mind something that came about during that message? And would we take action this week to do it by your spirit in us and by the truth of your word before us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a new song.
Uh, does that move you? Uh, it's not just a message in the music. It's the Spirit of God falling on people who gather in His name to worship Him. That's what we experience in these moments. It's not just human euphoria. It's our resonance to the fact that God is saying, I'm here. I'm for you. Come to me. Don't hold back. And if we can pray for you about anything before you leave today, go right out around the corner. Uh, Mike Hedman will be there. Uh, he's in charge of pastoral care. And you can say, Mike, pray about this or that, or just say pray. It doesn't matter if you want to articulate it or not. We're, we're here to pray for you. It could be for you, for anybody you concern, you're concerned about. If there's anything we can do to help you make that next step, coming to know Jesus or growing in your faith or, or dealing with some big issues in your life, we want to be here for you. Uh, don't be shy uh, or afraid to come forward and say, oh, yeah, I could, I could use some help right now. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon us all, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.